Welcome to this edition of Code Talk, the concise podcast to help you get to know the National Electrical Code. I'm your host, Frank Seiler, based in Spokane, Washington, and today's episode covers one of the most often referenced areas of Article 250. That is the Equipment Grounding Conductor, or EGC. In Article 250, that is Part 6, Equipment Grounding. Now, most of us have had, at the very least, turned to Table 250.122 to select the proper size equipment grounding conductor. But there is much more to this section than just this table. So, right, a quick reminder of what the equipment ground conductor is. In Article 100 definitions, we find it under the following term, grounding conductor, comma, equipment, EGC. The definition is a conductive path or paths that is part of an effective ground fault current path and connects normally non-current carrying metal parts of equipment together and to the system grounded conductor, that's the neutral, or to the grounding electrode conductor at the main service or the separately derived system or both. I injected a few thoughts here, but that's the, that's the essence. There are two informational notes. One says that it is recognized that the equipment grounding conductor also performs bonding. And the next one, informational note number two, gives us a reference to a catch-all. It uh, says C250.118 for a list of acceptable equipment grounding conductors. A little bit more on that shortly, and also in the show notes, I'll leave a link to a nice graphic that is helpful. But this is one of the places in the codebook that doesn't have a tab, and personally, I think it should. 250.118. What I actually do is I take a green marker and I rim that one page, you know, just an outline on the page edge, so that when my codebook is closed, I see a thin green line. That's 250.118. So in short, the equipment grounding conductor is the green or bare wire or sometimes the raceway or jacketing that accompanies the current carrying conductors downstream of any protected wire. And by protected, I mean that there's a breaker or fuse ahead of the feeder or branch circuit that is going to be then protected by an equipment grounding conductor downstream of that fuse or breaker. In a fault, that wire is going to have to carry the fault current and hopefully be able to drive enough current for the overcurrent device to trip. That's the purpose of it, or one of the purposes that uh, the definition brings out. 250.109 and .110 talk about the general need for enclosures and equipment to be supplied with an equipment grounding conductor, suitable for the size of circuit that supplies the equipment. And there are some exceptions that rely either on isolation or double insulation to this rule. And the most common example of this may be some handheld tools or other devices that plug in, but they are lacking a ground because the tool is double insulated. Thus, the marking on the tool, uh, you will find a square within a square, denoting that it's double insulated. 250.112 gives a list of specific items requiring to be grounded. And for some of these, 
rules exist outside of Article 250. For example, motor frames, 430.242, electric signs, 600.7, luminaires, or as the rest of the world calls them, light fixtures, Part 5 of Article 410. 250.112i also addresses limited energy systems and their requirements for grounding. And if you take a look at that section, you'll find that it's subsection I, remote control, signaling, and fire alarm circuits. Equipment supplied by Class 1 circuits shall be grounded unless operating at less than 50 volts. Equipment supplied by Class 1 power-limited circuits, by Class 2 and Class 3 remote control and signaling circuits, and by fire alarm circuits, shall be grounded where system grounding is required by Part 2 or Part 8 of this article. Quite often, though, if our supply voltage on the line side of the transformer power supply is uh, under 250 volts and the secondary does not require grounding, such as, you know, you could take like a thermostat wire or something like that, then you won't find any grounding on the secondary side. 250.114, Equipment Connected by Cord and Plug. It states that exposed, normally non-current-carrying metal parts of cord and plug-connected equipment shall be connected to the equipment grounding conductor under any of the following conditions. And there's four major categories here under which cord and plug-connected equipment must be grounded through the cord. And for the most part, you're going to find yourself in one of those categories. However, there's some exceptions. One of them, as I mentioned earlier, listed tools, appliances, and listed equipment shall not be required to be connected to an equipment grounding conductor were protected by a system of double insulation or its equivalent. Double insulated equipment shall be distinctively marked. So that's one aspect. There's a few others where grounding through the cord might not be required, but that's the main one. 250.118, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't have a tab, but personally, I believe it should have one. So this is a a catch-all. This is like the collective basket for all the wiring methods and their limitations as to being able to provide an equipment grounding conductor. So let me give you just one example. 250.118, paragraph 6, is specific for liquid-tight flex. So that's flex with the metal inside and then the PVC jacketing over top of it. So can it be used as the equipment grounding conductor? In other words, you're using the flex as a ground rather than a green wire inside of it. Now, if you ask a lot of people, their stock answer is going to be, no, you always put a green wire in it. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. It's just not code correct. You can use that piece of flex as an equipment ground if you meet several conditions. And so the list of conditions is here. A, the conduit is terminated in listed fittings. B, for trade sizes 3 eighths through half. The circuit may be 20 amperes or less. For trade sizes 3 quarter through inch and a quarter, the trade size uh, you know, has, has a larger area. And so there you can go up to 60 amperes. Also, the combined length of flex that you are using as an equipment grounding conductor may not exceed six feet in total. And 
the whole thing is out if you use the equipment because you require flexibility. You know, say you're going to a piece of equipment that vibrates and says, no, you got to put a green wire in it. <laughs> but if it's there just to, you know, for the installation and after it's installed, there's no movement to it, then if you meet the first four requirements, you can use the flex as an equipment grounding conductor. So how are equipment grounding conductors identified? A lot of people think that all grounding conductors are, are green. And it's really only the grounded conductor, typically the neutral, and the equipment grounding conductor, typically a green wire. Those two have specific color codes. But for example, things like grounding electrode conductors, they don't have a color code. That's good to put the appropriate color on there so everybody knows what it is that you're looking at, but there is no color code for those. So for the equipment grounding conductor, 250.119 states that equipment grounding conductors are permitted to be bare, covered, or insulated. And where they're covered or insulated, right, covered jackets don't have a, a, a voltage rating, but if it's insulated, then it has a voltage rating. So if it's covered or insulated, they shall have a continuous outer finish that's either green or green with one or more yellow stripes. And again, there's an exception for limited energy systems where the green conductor can have a totally different meaning. For example, in traditional heating and cooling systems, class two, 24 volt controls, the green wire is not ground. It's used for fan control. You put 24 volts on it and your furnace fan should kick on. And there's some other exceptions, such as in traffic control, even at line voltage. If you have a traffic light, yep, you guessed it, green is not ground. Green indeed fires up the green light in the traffic light. 250.119A also lets us know that for conductors smaller than 4 gauge, you have to use factory-made colors. But 4 gauge and larger can be taped or otherwise marked green to indicate that they are the equipment ground. Let's skip down to 250.121 and highlight a couple of restrictions. An equipment ground shall not double as a grounding electrode conductor. So in theory, you could come out of a main breaker enclosure, through a raceway to a subpanel, and then keeping the wire unbroken, run it to a grounding electrode. That is not permitted for a couple of reasons. One, if you had to replace the subpanel, you would disturb the active grounding system. And two, the EGC, Equipment Grounding Conductor, and the GEC, Grounding Electrode Conductor, have two different purposes. One of the purposes of the Grounding Electrode Conductor is to dissipate lightning events. So why would you route it through an adjacent subpanel first? Right, that doesn't make sense. And I said in theory, but someone must have done it to be outright prohibited in the NEC. The second one is, that is the second restriction is that the building steel or framing, right, steel framing of a building, shall not be used as an equipment grounding conductor. Now that is a 2020 addition to the NEC. And all I can think of is that somebody thought that this would be a good idea. But of course, it's not. In a ground fault, the equipment grounding conductor needs to be able to carry hundreds, if not thousands of amps of fault current. And relying on the metal frame of a building or steel studs in a building, uh, to do so, that's, that's just asking for problems. That's just a bad idea all around. So we make that part of the wiring method. 
Now that brings us to the sizing of the equipment grounding conductor. For the most part, it's very straightforward. You look at the breaker fuse size, and then go to table 250.122, and there it gives you the required equipment grounding conductor size. For example, if you have a 200 ampere feeder, the equipment grounding conductor is number six. 10-2 Romex, or NM cable, well, that's designed for a 30 ampere circuit, and hence the equipment grounding conductor will also be a 10 gauge. Now, one mistake that people sometimes make is to round down. What do I mean by that? Well, first, notice the heading of the table column that has the breaker sizes in it. It says, overcurrent device not exceeding. So if you have a 70 ampere breaker, don't say, oh, I have not reached 100 ampere yet, so it's a number 10. Now, this is the way to read it. You have exceeded 60, so you must move to the next line. A 70 ampere breaker is sized the same as if you had a 100 amp breaker in the system. That needs a number 8 ground. Now, there's a lot of text with this table. We'll focus on a couple of things. The first sentence in 250.122a says that you can't be any smaller than the table. Uh, keep reading. The next sentence, however, tells us that if for any reason the table gives us a number larger than the hot conductor wire size, our equipment grounding conductor does not need to be larger than the hot conductors. Uh, it kind of makes sense, right? The path there doesn't have to be smaller than the path back. It's, you know, so usually the return path for emergencies is just kept at a size that allows the circuit breaker or fuse to open up without it itself becoming the fuse. So you'll find this to be the case with some motor and also air conditioning installations, as well as with the tap rules, where the table might give you a larger size than the hot conductors feeding the piece of equipment. The next thing to be aware of is the proper way to deal with size increases due to voltage drop. Now, many people think that to do this in the field, you just increase the equipment ground by the same number of steps as the hot when compensating for voltage drop. And oftentimes that kind of rule of thumb does work out, especially in the smaller sizes, just by sheer luck, but it's not the correct method. All right, take a look at the language in 250.122b. When we compensate for voltage drop, Wire-type equipment grounding conductors, if installed, shall be increased in size proportionately, that's by the same ratio, to the increase in the circular mill area of the ungrounded conductors. So we have to utilize Chapter 9, Table 8, Conductor Properties, because there we can convert our wire sizes to circular mill if we're working with American wire gauge. On the HOTS, we take the compensated wire size divided by the original wire size, which will give us the ratio of increase. Then, we look for which equipment ground is normally suited for the opacity of the overcurrent device. Take that equipment grounding conductor, find its circular mill, and multiply it by the ratio that we have just calculated. That new number that we get, that new circular mill, convert that back to the next wire size, you can't round down. You've got to round up if you don't land on one, which most of the time you won't. Right, convert to that new circular mill back to the wire size, American wire gauge, then you have the correct equipment ground compensated for voltage drop. 
It's by the same ratio. There are a couple of other things that we find in this section. For example, if we have a raceway with multiple circuits, the equipment grounding conductor, and by the way, we don't have to pull a separate equipment grounding conductor for each circuit, the equipment grounding conductor, one is good for all. So it is always based on the largest circuit size in that particular raceway. The other item deals with parallel sets of conductors. If our parallel sets of hot conductors are in separate raceways, generally we have to provide a fully sized equipment ground in each of the paralleled raceways. In short, there's no paralleling reductions for equipment grounding conductors. They must always be fully sized. 250.124 addresses equipment grounding conductor continuity. It makes sense that we want it to be continuous in some way, shape, or form throughout the entire system. So there are some places where it might get interrupted. And these are really uh, not things that, that happen often. But one of the concepts here is for separable connectors, cord and plug connections. Well, if that's made under load, it's required to provide first make, last break of the equipment grounding conductor. All right, look at a standard electrical cord, extension cord. And, you know, as long as the framer hasn't gotten a hold of it and twisted the ground off of it, uh, you'll see that the ground prong is longer than the rest. So it makes contact first on insertion and breaks contact last when being backed out. The other is that a ground shall not be switched. Uh, with the rare exception that all conductors of the circuit are opened at the same time. And there are some specialized cases where that might happen. And lastly, we have the identification of a grounded wiring devices. So grab an outlet or switch and compare it to what the requirements are. And they're going to meet one or more of these. It must be a green, not readily removable terminal screw with a hex head. Six-sided head. And it's kind of rounded, but it's six-sided. And you're going to find that at the end of the threads, there's usually some uh, knurling. It's probably the best word for it. To, yeah, if you needed to, you could still get it out of the threads, but it's going to offer up quite a bit of resistance as you do so. Or it could be a green hexagonal, not readily removable terminal nut. Sometimes in a European-style motor, you've got the motor connections with... Uh, threads that come up, and then terminal nuts that are connected on top of that. Number three, a green pressure wire connector. Right? If the terminal for the equipment grounding conductor isn't visible in that pressure connector, the connector entrance hole shall be marked with the word green or ground or the letters G or GR or grounding symbol or otherwise identified by a distinctive green color. So it leaves a lot of, lot of latitude here for manufacturers of product if they have something that doesn't fit item one or item two. So there we have it. Equipment grounding conductor sizing, identification, and termination all wrapped up. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll wrap up the grounding episodes by looking at select sections of the remaining parts of Article 250, that are relevant to most electricians, or at the very least, that pop up on an exam from time to time. If you found this episode on a site other than our website, please go to www.inw-trade.com.
training.com. The hyphen is a minus sign. I'll have some lecture notes up for this and other episodes. And uh, uh, 250.118 is one of those. And I'll also give an example on the website for how to properly size up by ratio your equipment grounding conductor if you had to increase your hots by voltage drop. So look for those two things on the website. I also want to remind you that we have a monthly feature now that is code answers to questions from our listeners. And you can find the button to leave your code question on the front page of our website, inw-training.com. Until then, please take care and thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Frank Seiler, signing off from Spokane, Washington.